thank you for joining us uh, for our very first uh, Home is Everything podcast. I'm Russ Frazier, president of Anwim Housing. And today we're going to be talking about our permanent supportive housing programs. And uh, permanent supportive housing for Anwim uh, means a lot of things. And we're going to have uh, one of our program managers, Jeremy Orcutt, uh, join us to talk about that a little bit this morning. So welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think the first thing that I'd, might be uh most interesting for us to to share is uh, just maybe some of the years of experience that uh, that Anawim has been involved in this, and I'll kind of kick that off a little bit to share that you know for about twenty years we've been involved in delivering a, a program called Shelter Plus Care uh, in here in in the Des Moines area, and that has served a fairly unique population of individuals that are coming from uh, a homeless background. Uh, but also uh, duly diagnosed with uh, certain issues of whether it be mental health issues or substance abuse, or in some cases, HIV AIDS. So that's given us some experience over those years in dealing with the very unique and, and in some cases, a hard to uh, house population. But as that, those programs have transitioned into uh, what they are today and the types of services and programs that we're delivering, uh, I think that's allowed us to, I think, adapt to a lot of the, the changing population in the community. And so for, from your perspective, uh, what's, uh, what's really the key program area or that, uh, that you're working on with Anwin right now? So I'm a program manager with the Housing Opportunity Program, number one, um, and I carry a caseload of 20. When I'm full right now, I'm at 19. Mm-hmm. So um, they're chronically homeless individuals that have met those requirements that you'd spoke about earlier, mental health, substance use issue, medically fragile, um, and have been able to verify that they've been chronically homeless. So when, uh, when an individual first comes into uh, our, our program, what type of uh, characteristics or what would you say is the, the typical uh, experience that they've had before they get walked through our door? That they've had? Uh, it, it varies. Um, because my caseload covers a pretty wide range of ages. Um, so some of the younger ones um, have, I don't know what the word would be, They're, they don't seem maybe as tired as some of the older people that have come in. Um, they all seem to be pretty grateful at the opportunity and, and a lot of times don't believe that they're actually going to be receiving housing. Um, mental health is a pretty constant uh, variable in everybody that comes in. Trauma definitely is, I would say, 95%, if not all. Just being homeless in and of itself creates trauma. So, um, a lot of substance use. So, okay, so the question then is what, what happens with if if they aren't housed with us? Where, where, where are they at? Where are they going? What's the alternative for them? Hospitals, jails, there's not very many institutions anymore, so it's hospitals and jails, or they're out camping. That's and really and camping it. and meaning what? Um, out in the woods, uh, under bridges, uh, wherever a lot of the Skywalk was a, a place that I heard a lot of people stay, you know. But then they get kicked out of there too. So it's it seems that they're constantly moving, kind of nomadic. But they'll find a campsite where they can stay for a while and. Um, you know, for as long as they can until they're either trespassing or the authorities come in and move them. When you talk about the diagnosis of uh, of some some of these individuals that are maybe having the, some significant issues in their lives, 
what what's gotten them to this point? I mean, what's been there? Maybe go longer back. Have you had experience in hearing them and their some of their stories? Because I'm yeah. I'm guessing that people aren't just all of a sudden deciding one day oh, I'm going to be homeless, I'm going to have a mental illness, or I'm going to be addicted to a certain substance. You know, that just doesn't happen overnight. So how are they getting here? So uh, I can for some of my folks, I have one lady in particular who uh, lost her husband and her son a few years back in a car accident. Started drinking lost her home, lost everything she had, ended up living in her car and moved down here and then started staying in the shelter. And then that's how we got to her, or how she got to us rather. Um, another gentleman had cancer diagnosis. His wife had passed away some years prior. He was diagnosed with cancer and started drinking, drinking, drinking to the point where he was in a van and then he was outside for another individual that almost graduated college at Iowa State um, and in his last semester uh, schizophrenia showed up and he ended up leaving and was on the streets so I mean there's a lot of different stories we've got a younger guy that's uh, uh, an alcoholic and drank himself out of house and home out of jobs and then has never gotten to the point he, he is now He's in a program now, but uh, yeah, so I mean, he was in a car wreck actually and was in a coma and I think that did some damage to his brain. Mm -hmm. And then in medicating himself, you know, he led himself to the streets, you know. So there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different histories from, from these folks. So when they're first identified as needing a, a housing solution, what are the requirements then that they have to go through in order to get in our program? So they have to go to primary health, the centralized intake, and they take a, an assessment, the ISPDAD, and, and it's a vulnerability assessment. So if, if they've been chronically homeless and, and they have either or substance use issue, mental health diagnosis, or deemed medically fragile, the HIV that you mentioned before, uh, that qualifies. And the more honest they are on that assessment, the, the higher their score, and they're deemed more vulnerable, and then we get referred to us. So once they get to us, then what What are, tell me a little more about the exact services that we're providing. So we're, we're providing, they're getting to our program, they're, they now have a place to live, but what does that really mean to them? Beyond the emotional, I'm, I'll, I'll let you talk about the emotional yeah. impact second, but yeah. first, just the, the value proposition to them. So they're coming in, they're, we're, we're paying for, in most cases, 100% of their rental costs yeah. to that, and then that will, they're also obligated if they have income, most cases they don't, if they have income, then will they, uh, they can pay up to 30% of their income towards their housing costs. But then what are we doing for them once they get in? So once they get in, then someone like me comes in and visits them and, and helps them with that transition from living outside um, to now living inside. And it struck me uh, how difficult that process can be for a lot of folks. Because when they're homeless, there's, there's a whole set of rules out there that they live by, that they've survived by. Um, and then we come along, we offer them housing, and along with that comes a lease and, and a big fat packet of other rules that don't mean as much as those rules that have kept them alive. So um, it becomes 
a, a work of transition to get them to realize, no, you can't bring everybody that you lived with out there because you got chosen for housing and bring them in and you're now trying to house those people. Um, yeah, you have to keep your place clean. So sometimes, it's, it, a lot of times, it's just the basics. Some people, though, have come in and have had that foundation of what a clean house looks like and how to live indoors and, and the gratitude's there from the gate and they're making it their home and, and they'll guard it. Uh, a lot of times, though, it's, it's not that way. I, some of the people I've mentioned before, a few of them are that way where they have their home and they're pretty protective of it and they keep it a certain way. And those people I don't have to visit as often. I'm just there to check up on them and see what they need. Other people, it may be, you know, I'm taking them to a doctor. I could be taking them just to get an ID. Um, it could be a lot of different getting referrals in place for some of these people to get some of just some basic needs met, get food stamps, getting food on a regular basis, furniture. Um, but then also teaching them that, that this is your place. You're, you're now responsible for these people that you're having over as guests. You can have guests, but where the boundaries were very different and that's what they survived on, you have to teach them new boundaries. Some of the skills do apply. Some of the same skills do apply. It's teaching them how to use them in a different way. I know we change lives life-changing experiences that people have when they come into housing for the first time in many cases on many years. Do you think it's overstating it though to say that we're saving lives? Uh, no, I don't. I, I spoke of a gentleman, a younger guy, the alcoholic earlier. If, if he wasn't in here in our housing, he, there's no doubt in my mind he would be dead. There are a few times that I thought I'd show up and find him that way because of his drinking. But when I have found him, I have gotten him into detox. It has taken almost a year to get him into a program. He, he ended up getting arrested, but through that and through working with his probation officer, we've gotten him an opportunity where he's now been sober uh, maybe three months, which is probably the longest he's had in 10 years. Um, but there was no doubt in my mind because there was one instance where he was found unresponsive with blood alcohol of 0.79. He was found unresponsive in a Burger King and got to the ER and they were able to save him, basically. But if we, if there wasn't for us regularly checking in with some of these people, I know there's a lot of different stories like that back there with some of my colleagues where they walked in and somebody had just had a stroke and he was able to get 911 there. And, and, and that person's alive today because of it. Um, sometimes we're not as fortunate, but I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, uh, one of the, the, the guy that I spoke about that had cancer, if he wasn't housed, he wouldn't have gotten treatment. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So Jeremy, you've been in Anwin for about a year now. Tell me uh, what was uh, your career like before you came here? So um, I've spent Prior here to here, I did 17 years in the behavioral health field. Um, I was in drug and alcohol. So I was a certified counselor. I became a licensed counselor in California. Um, I'd, also, I'd moved up to where I was a clinical supervisor and later a program director. I've run residential programs, outpatients, um, intensive outpatients. And the job that I had prior to moving to Iowa was an executive director of of a, a drug and alcohol treatment that was contracted by the county out there. Um, 
So that was where my focus was. And, and, you know, more and more, it was all co-occurring disorder stuff. Mental health and substance use seemed to pretty much go hand in hand. It's it's hard to figure out which one came first. But um, so that's what I did. So I was actually an executive director for the last three years um, there before we moved. Jeremy, thank you for uh, sharing uh, some of those stories. And uh, we really uh, uh, appreciate uh, what you are, are doing every day uh, for for those that we are serving here at Anowin. Um, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us today uh, for our Home is Everything podcast and uh, look forward to uh, sharing more stories about Anowin housing very soon. <laughs>